What up, Charlotte? Oh, it's your boy, Lim Houston, again on the microphone on that podcast known as Nosy. I am so excited to talk to you today. There's so much that's gone on. I have a topic that I really want to hone in on, and it really happens to do and piggyback off of the two-part series that I did on divorce and finding happiness through divorce. But today, I'm going to also talk about a lot of the mistakes that I made through divorce with having children on the divorce train with me. Before I get into all that, I want to talk about happier stuff that's kind of, well, things that I'm not so happy, but things that are happy. So recently, LSU won the national championship in football. I was very, very, very elated. Many of you know that I love college football. I love football, period. But my main thing is college football. There's just so many different elements of college football. I'm not going to go into it, but that I love. And that NFL football doesn't really have. And one of the things that I will hone in on on this national championship game, there was a plethora at stake in this game. You had Clemson, which is the returning national championship winners from last year, wanting to prove to the world that they're just as bona fide as Alabama in reclaiming their championship title. And when we all know Clemson is a powerhouse, there's no getting around that. And for the foreseeable future in the ACC, they will continue to be the ACC powerhouse. But another element that was brought into this national championship game, and for those that don't care for football, if you care for people, you'll follow me as I go through the route of what LSU has had to deal with. In the past, LSU has clearly competed year in and year out for national championships, not just SEC championships, but national championships. And for those that don't follow football a lot, a national championship is the best championship that you could get in college football. But so for so many years, they had battled and battled and battled, and sometimes they got a a national championship here or there, but It has been a long time since LSU has been relevant. It has been relevant in the national championship discussion. And so years, three years, four years before this championship that they won, they fired their head coach because he got them nine winning seasons every year. And the most games you can win in a regular season is 12 Regularly, Les Miles got them at 9, 10 wins a game, but he chose not to change. He chose to stick with the old school offensive way of moving the ball and keeping a sound sound defense, which is great. Everybody wants a great defense. They say defense wins championships. But here's where the personal stuff comes into play and what I've learned through this whole thing and I want to go into deeper aspects of it but I'm not going to in the sake of time but because the old coach Les Miles was so resistant to change and the changing element in college football was offenses needed to throw the ball a whole lot more in order to score points he was old school run the ball first wear down the clock 
maybe get some touchdowns here or there, but they were not high on putting up a whole lot of points. It cost him his job. He would not change. And I think that that happens to a lot of us that we're so non we're, we're, we're not movable in a lot of different situations to change, whether it's personally with spouses or significant others or changing how we think about disciplining our kids or changing how we think about doing our jobs. If you own a business, changing and reformatting how you really want to streamline your business to be more relevant. Les Miles didn't quite get on board soon enough with being relevant with a relevant offense. He gets fired. Coach Ogeron, when Les Miles got fired, it was still during the year, Coach Ogeron took over as an interim head coach. And he proved that he could lead a group of young men and win even though he's stepping in midstream. He wasn't the one that created the offense. He wasn't the one that designed the defense. He was a defensive coordinator, so he did have help in designing the defense, but he was not the man running the full show. And here he gets the opportunity with a, with few, a few games left to take over a team that was plunging. And he resurrected LSU and brought them to a respectable bowl game. And I believe they won that bowl game. Well, it comes time to figure out who they're going to hire for their head coach. And LSU, the powers that be, had looked at Coach Ogeron and looked at some other potential candidates that they could get. And LSU has deep pockets. And at the time, Jimbo Fisher, who was Florida State's head coach, who is now Texas A&M's head coach, was a hot commodity. And there were other hot commodities at the time that were available. And LSU, thank God, the powers that be that made the final decision chose to stick with Coach Odron. And let me tell you, the LSU fan base was pissed. The vast majority of them were pissed off because they wanted that new shiny toy that everybody in the media was saying is a great hire as a head coach. Jimbo Fisher being one of them. And while during that time frame, I re- recalled Coach Odron took over a prior regime at USC, Southern California, when they fired their head coach who was caught drinking and being drunk at an engagement um, with a boosters rally. Sarkeesian got fired at USC. That's a big time job. And again, Coach Odron led USC to respectability. I believe his record was five and two when he took over and he wanted to stay at USC. USC said, no, we're going to go get this new shiny toy and replace Sarkeesian with another coach. And we we're, we're good on Odron. So that was that was one of his first diss moves. And then the second one was when he was named LSU's head coach. And the LSU fan base was terrible. They did not support 
Coach Odron at all because they wanted to cite his one opportunity that he got as a head coach that didn't work at Ole Miss. They failed to look at the most relevant recent activity with him being at the helm for a considerable amount of time, more than, you know, a little bit less than half the games at USC in the same situation at LSU. But he had winning records as an interim head coach at both spots. And it was a shame to me how the LSU fan base reacted to Coach Odron. And now you fast forward. What did Coach Odron do, do during the time frame that he was named head coach up until this year? He changed. He looked at everything and said, hey, we're, in order for us to win, we are going to have to do something different. And there were bumps and bruises during his first year because it, was, it wasn't looking very good for Coach Odron. He weathered the storm, did what he had to do, but he looked to change and even go young in getting the offensive coordinator, like a co-offensive coordinator. So this is a life lesson for all of us that a lot of times, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and we don't necessarily know what something new is going to look like, we all need to be, if we're going to continue to grow as human beings, flexible and adaptive to change. That takes me into what I'm going to talk about at me being at my worst during divorce or going through a divorce. If you have not gone through a divorce, it might not resonate with you. Some of the things that I'm about to say, but if you have gone through a divorce, it certainly will. Divorce has got to be one of the toughest situations to maneuver through when you don't have children involved. Because typically these two entities that loved each other at one point in time that decided to say, hey, I just want to commit to you and only you for the rest of my life. Something in between that time frame and getting to the point where you're saying, I am done. In between all of that, something has gone wildly array to the point where when you go through something like this, your respect value for that person is so small. And we're talking about respect on a scale from one to 10, 10 being the highest, utmost respect that you have for a person. When you are at the point where you're going through a divorce, one or both have looked at that other person and the respect for that other person has gone down so far as more than likely a one or a negative or zero to one or negative one. That's how bad it usually is by the time that you get to saying, I'm calling it quits. So think about when you're happily married and when you're married, you always have to negotiate something. And like both people have been raised in different households to get them to the point where they're an adult. They have things that they love to do or things that they want to do, or they have a different perspective on a lot of different things, whether it's food, housing, clothing, whatever it is, vacations, 
Imagine you're in love with somebody and you're trying to compromise. It's hard enough when you love somebody to compromise and make decisions that you think will meet both person's needs. Or if one person has to back down off of certain needs, they love that person enough to do it because there's a greater good about being with that person that backing off is doesn't really matter that much when you don't care about that person anymore or you have resentment or you have ill will towards that person there is no compromising little to no you know in a perfect life two people would just agree that we are just too vastly different it doesn't mean that you're a bad person it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person we just don't we don't work together and we even though we try and we're going to be fair about splitting up if you don't have any children the easiest thing i could like the best case scenario would be two people don't didn't make it i, I don't even care how long it is it could have been a year it could have been 10 years they just don't make it to me the easiest way to, to do this is Whatever you have in your account, if if you have separate accounts. Now, if you have joint accounts, split it all in half. Even if one person makes more money than the other, I'm thinking while you guys were together, it's 50-50, right? The easiest thing to do would compromise and say, we're going to split everything in half. Half the bills, half the 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 anything that we've accrued together assets-wise, We'll sell it for, you know, it's like a home. If one person or both people don't want the home anymore, just sell it, split the money, any proceeds. If you have to pay to get out of it, you split that up too. If you don't have children, to me, it should always be a 50-50 split. Even if somebody makes more money than the other person, because to me, if you're an able-bodied adult, not one with disabilities or any mental issues or anything like that. If you're both two able-bodied persons, you either split it up where it's equitable for a person who makes, say one person makes $100,000 a year, another person, the other person makes $50,000 a year. We'll split it up kind of evenly based off of who makes what and what kind of bills there are. It's easier said than done a lot of times because some people get resentful and say, hey, you wanted to buy that boat. I didn't. Why should I have to help pay for any of that or whatever? You know, we typically it gets mucked up. But in the in the most best case scenarios with divorce, splitting something 50 50 between two people that don't have any other any other things to keep them connected to me is the best thing. If you don't have children, that's the best thing. But in that situation, here's what happens. I gave you the best case scenario. I'm going to give you one of the worst case scenarios. You have a person that has bought a home prior to them getting married, finds a person, loves a person, they get married. And in the state of North Carolina, any property is considered, even if you bought it before you knew this person, it's considered a marital asset at the time that you get married. So if, like most people don't do, if you don't have a, any kind of prenuptial agreement, something detailed in writing as to how things will work, if things don't work, here's what you're going to probably face, a fight. 
You uh, undoubtedly, depending on who the parties are, if one or the other was cheated on, if one of the uh, or the other was done wrong in some kind of way, if the one if the there's a party that didn't want the, the, the divorce, be prepared for an all out battle. And it sucks. And I'm just talking if you don't have any children, it sucks because you get lawyers involved and the lawyers are there. If you have not seen a marriage story on Netflix, watch that movie. Now they had a kid involved, which I'm about to go into that and it makes the situation worse. And how and I'm going to tell you how I was the worst, a bad parent through divorce. I don't think I was the worst one, by the way, but I, I think I was a bad parent in, in a, Considering that I didn't necessarily always put the needs of the kids first emotionally. All right. But back to my scenario with people who are single parent or not parents, but they're two individuals that don't have parenting involved in the situation. It can get so daggone dirty. It's terrible. And at the end of the day, if you guys can't resolve it on your own, the only people that win are the attorneys Period. The system is not built to give everybody equitable equality in in a divorce. It is just not that way. You have human factors when you're dealing with attorneys and judges that look at a situation and don't know all the details, you know, and all they're looking at is, okay, here's how we do things legally. The legal system is not meant to give fairness at all, at all, at all, in all situations. Anytime you bring the government into your life, be prepared to get screwed. Somebody's going to get screwed. So my best advice for anybody that's going through a divorce, take the emotion out of it. Look at just the pure, simple facts of what the landscape looks like. If you own homes together, if you own vehicles together, if you have credit card debt together, if you have a 401k, do it all in fairness. Here's my stance on everything. Be fair. Do what it goes back to the old Bible statement. Do unto others as you would want done to you. If you know your wife had a 401k started when she started working at 21 and you guys didn't meet until she was 30 years old and her 401k was built up to $250,000 at that point and now it's three seventy-five, dollars don't look to get the $250,000 and split in half. $175,000 split in half. If you want to do it that way, do it that way. It's vice versa. If you know that your husband has owned a home or your future ex-husband owned a home that was his, that he put money into, that he was the one that secured the property at the time, and you understand that you've lived in it for the last nine years and there's been some equity built up, but he's been making the payment out of his own account or he's been continuously making the same payment. Why in the world are you going to go after equity in that home? I just, I don't believe in it. I, I believe that at the time that you were married, if he continued to pay on that home and it was no money coming out of your own pocket, 
to continuously live and dwell rent free virtually, then even if you added some value by putting some money into building a deck on the house, bottom line for nine years, you live there rent free. Don't ask for a dime of equity out of that house. It's not your house. It was his house. That's my mentality. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but that's, that's my mentality. Now throw into the equation, having children. It even gets really effed up when you have kids. And here's why you deal with the sit. You deal with the same set of circumstances that you do when people don't have kids. And then you cannot ever take the emotional equation out of the situation when you do have kids. In my own personal situation, our parenting styles were so vastly different. I am the one that believed in not sparing the rod. I believe you spoil the child or children, but the rod can come in so many different forms. I'm not saying you have to beat them every single time or give them a spanking or a slap on the hand or anything. It doesn't always have to come to physical, but sparing the rod also means putting these suckers in check when, when it comes to you're going to respect my authority and you're not going to suck in your teeth because you disagree with what I have to say. You're not going to roll your eyes. I'm going to catch you on it at the time. She wasn't about that. She let things slide that I wouldn't let slide. Thus in turn, over the course of even been, being outside of our marriage, I was put in a situation of even disciplining outside of my own household because there were some things that were severe enough that I thought these kids needed to be checked on. But that's a big part of it. The disciplining and the raising of these children and the different ways of doing it. I did not do well with that. I I have I have foreseen that due to her lack of discipline and catching them and, and being invested, of course, in their successes, right? She wasn't going to champion pushing them in school. She wasn't going to champion pushing them in athletics. She wasn't going to also champion the fact that you need to put these kids in their place when you're raising them. And so it made it very, very difficult for me to really have any sympathy when they disrespected her in a major way. And a lot of times I would tell them, hey, it's her own fault because y'all don't talk to me like this. You're not going to do like do things to me. I basically gave them more leverage by siding with the fact that her parenting style sucked. That was bad, piss poor parenting on my part. I should have never voiced my opinion to them about her bad parenting. And because I, I will say as a human being, I got frustrated because I did have conversations with her. There was one point where, you know, our son kicked her in the stomach, in the in the stomach at age, what, 12 or 13 years old. And I'm coming down there, you know, checking him on putting his hands on a female threatening to take him to jail, driving down to the jail. All the while, his mom and my daughter are crying, don't take him, don't take him, don't take him. All this, that, that was just dr drama for your mama. And I'm so glad those days are over with. But it was to show him that you never put your hands on a female. But even going through all that, there was still not 
to me in that household enough discipline. So I finally got fed up with hearing all the antics that were going on. I just said, well, you know what? To them, I said to, to the to the quote unquote children, they were older children by this point. That's what she gets. That's what she gets. And it was probably the worst thing that I ever did, which was co-signing on my own fields with those children. That is the worst thing that you can do, parents, when you're going through a divorce or you're divorced, is to ever air out any ill will on regarding the other party to kids. No matter how bad it gets, you're, it's, you're better off going and seeing a therapist and airing it out there if you need to do that or talk to friends. It's never a good situation. You think you might be, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. Some some parents do it on purpose because they want to look like the better parent. I don't feel like I tried to do it to look as a better parent. I got I simply allow my frustration and my feelings about discipline and the lack of you know, doing things the way I would do it, even academically, through sports, whatever, the support system. I feel like I was the one kind of trying to drive that remotely because they stayed with her five days during the week, whereas I got them every weekend. And then when they got old enough, older than wanted to be around their friends during the weekend because she lived in Matthews and I'm in South Charlotte, I even got less time to be of an influence. So it did bubble up to be a boiling point and get very frustrating to see all the different dynamics of what I would not do if I had them in my house on 24 hours, seven days a week. What I would not put up with, the attitudes, the the, the lack of, you know, focus on schoolwork. It was just a whole thing that built up. And then I let it out and let the kids hear this stuff and hear about my discontent with their mom. It was the worst thing I could have ever done as a divorced parent, period. Learn from my mistakes. All right, gang, that was a great podcast. I believe I enjoy talking about my pitfalls regarding my own situation on divorce and raising kids through that and how hard it is to really get to a place where you you can be fair, you know, taking the emotion out of the situation and really looking at it as how would I want to be done? You know, when you flip the script and you stop thinking about what you've got to lose or gain, and you really think, how do I want to be done right now? And if I was him or her, how would I want to be done if the shoe was on the other foot? I gave you some good examples. There's a ton of more, more examples I could go into all day long. But you know this podcast is 30 minutes or less because your, your brother from another mother has ADD, self-diagnosed. So I can't continue this podcast for more than 30 minutes. All right. Peace out, y'all. Have fun. Hope your rest of your week is awesome and your weekend is great. I hope to see a lot of you at the two-hour cardio funk event at Red Clay Cider Works starting at 930. We'll go through 1130. If you can't make it all the way through 1130, make it as far as you can, but have a good time. There's going to be prize giveaways and it's just going to be about fun. All right. And oh, no, it's going to be about more than fun. And it's going to be about burning calories because it takes 
750 calories to burn one pound. I guarantee I will have you burn in 1200 calories. If you have fun and stay for the two hours, you're going to burn more than one pound in that two hour session. Have a good day. Peace out.